even to prepare the way. And so whatever it is this morning that we're most afraid of, whatever it is that we are holding on to and refusing to let go of to you, whatever it is that we are um, ashamed of, whether whatever it is that we're hiding from, Father, help us to know that you've gone beha- ahead of us. Your love and your grace and mercy has gone ahead of us to prepare the way and that we can move forward boldly knowing that you will cover us, that you bought us with your love, with your grace, with your arms that were wide open for us, God. Help us to be confident. Help us to uh, live into the truth of your word, the truth of your love, the truth of your mercy, the truth of your salvation. And know that your grace has gone ahead of us to prepare a way, just like it's gone ahead of us to prepare our hearts. To hear the word that you've given to Pastor Joe this morning. Humble us, give us open ears, open hearts, yielded spirits. uh, And we pray all these things and we thank you in the name of your son. Amen. Sometimes the worship is so good, I just feel like we should just close in prayer. Okay. (laughs) But not today. I mean, it was good, but I'm not going to close in prayer today. Um. I'm Joe Davis, I'm the pastor here at Grace Life. By the way, Lynn mentioned the new Living the Grace Life podcast, which is different from the sermon podcast. <clears throat> this one's called Living the Grace Life. We've only had four episodes so far. Episode five should drop Monday or Tuesday. Something really exciting in that episode is I was coughing a lot. So I'm really excited to see how the sound tech edits that out, right, Jim? It was really bad. But if you have any questions you would like answered on the podcast, you can email us at livingthegracelifepodcast at gmail.com. And uh, we'll get those. And if we read your question on air, you have to buy, I mean, you get a book. <laughs> I'm trying to sell more, you know. I just, um, we're continuing with our series. This is week two of Surviving in Egypt, the life of Joseph. If you remember correctly, I was explaining to you that Egypt is a representation of the world that we live in. And this is week two In week two, I've entitled Alone in a Pit. So some of the most difficult and painful moments in our lives are when we are betrayed by those closest to us. And because all of us, even if we don't want to admit it, all of us have been a victim of betrayal at one time or another. And so we take, by nature by our judgmental nature, a very dim view of betrayers. And by nature, we tend to empathize with the betrayed more than we would the betrayers. I mean, Jesus experienced this pain of betrayal with Peter and and Judas and many other times. And what we do is we actually comfort ourselves by casting betrayers as the villains which they are, and then we shake our head in disbelief at their, how could they do that? But to understand grace, we must rightfully, willingly admit that we actually can empathize with the betrayers. What happens is it opens our eyes once we realize, you know, we can probably empathize with betrayers more than the betrayed It opens our eyes to how badly we actually need redemption and how miraculous it is, frankly, that it takes hold of us despite our depravity and our sinfulness. So keep this in mind today as we investigate the story of Joseph 
and his brothers and how they betrayed him. The story is found in Genesis chapter 37, 12 to 28. A lot of verses, but we're going to read them all. Now his brothers went to pasture, uh, pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And then Jacob, another name for Israel, Jacob. And Jacob said to Joseph, his son, are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I'm going to send them to you. And he said to him, here I am. So he said to Joseph, go and see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock and bring word. Remember a little bit of background. Joseph had told on them once before, dad, they're not doing a really good job with the sheep. They're running around. They're feeding them horse feed instead of sheep feed. You know, they're not shearing them. They're letting them go anywhere. They're letting them eat grass in the neighbor's yard. It's a mess. And so Joseph says, they're at Shechem, right? Pasturing that big flock down the other in the North 40. Is that right? Go check on them. Make sure they're doing a good job. Remember, this is the son that Jacob has already shown that he likes better than all the others with that jacket, that big, loud, colorful jacket. Right. So they already know that Joseph likes them better. uh, Jacob likes Joseph better. Go and look at the flock. Make sure they're doing it right and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron and he came to Shechem. And a man found him wandering in the field. So he's lost. Joseph doesn't even know where he is, really. And the man asked, what are you seeking? And Joseph says, I'm seeking my brothers. And he said, tell me, please, where they are pasturing the flock. Apparently, everybody knew who Jacob's brothers were or Joseph's brothers were and who the flock was. And the man said, oh, they have gone away. For I've heard them say, let us go to Dolphin. In other words, they've left Shechem. They've left the sheep. Boy, now Joseph is really like, oh, I got them. So Joseph went after his brothers, and he found them at Dotham. And I'm sure he's going to read in the riot act. Well, Dad sent me to talk to you again about the horrible job you're doing. See, this is why I'm the favorite. (laughs) I would never do what you're doing right now. And they saw him from afar off, probably because of that stupid jacket. Right? (laughs) He's wearing it. He's wearing it to Dotham while he's going to go tell on his brothers. Don't forget, I'm Dad's favorite, and I'm going to tell. At this point, Joseph has a very punchable face, if you can imagine. (laughs) Right? Just like, you know. So they see him coming from afar off, and before he even came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Remember, he had that dream where they're all going to bow down to him, and he was king. Come now. I love how they start with come now. It's very proper. Come now, let us kill him. (laughs) I think that's great, right? Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him and we will see what will become of his dreams then. We'll put an end to this dream stuff right now. But when Reuben, one of Joseph's brothers, the oldest one, when Reuben heard it, he rescued them out of their hands saying, let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood, throw him in this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him that he might rescue him out of their hands to restore him to his father. And the reason for that is Reuben had done some pretty bad things, and we'll get into those later, a PG-13 version of it anyway. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of that really beautiful jacket, the robe of many colors that he wore. I mean, what an arrogant kid, right? Anyway. And they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. So what this was, it was an empty cistern where they would store water. And on the times of year where there's no water in it, it's very deep and you can't get out. So that's the passage today. 
So like we do here at Grace Life, we like to look at three applications of each scripture. The history, what about man, what did they do, and why and how did they do it? We look at the spiritual, what about God, what does he do, and why and how does he do it? Then the devotional, what about us, what do we do, and why and how do we do it? Let's talk about the history. <clears throat> the brothers conspire. So Joseph is walking into a trap, and he doesn't even know it. Jacob, his father, is absolutely clueless when it comes to the level of dysfunction between Joseph and his brothers. He has sent Joseph into a very volatile situation. He's isolated, vulnerable, wandering around in the fields looking for his brothers. Then you know where they are. And years and years of jealousy and anger and dysfunction are about to result in a trap. I mean, Joseph had this ridiculous arrogance, pride, a lack of wisdom. Why are you going to wear your best jacket in a field? I don't get it. Well, I do get it. He was trying to show off. The way he conducted himself in front of his brothers was really silly. He's flaunting the coat, talking about dreams, lacking the wisdom to know what to do with these dreams. His dad sends him on a mission to go check up on his brothers again because Joseph's already shown a propensity to tattletale. I mean, this was a bad idea from the start. <clears throat> and years of envy and rage and anger and resentment come to a head. They see him coming from a distance, probably because of that multicolored jacket. <laughs> and while they see him walking, couldn't have been a very long time, right? Between, oh, there he is, let's make a plan. They hatched this scheme to murder him quickly. I mean, they probably knew why he was coming anyway. Okay, we're not in Shechem, we're in Dotham. Here's what's going to happen. He's going to go back and tell Dad we weren't doing what we were supposed to do. We were partying in Dotham, and he's going to turn us in again. Let's just kill the kid. I'm so sick of it. What a pest. This probably indicates that they really had these thoughts in their heart for a while, and now the opportunity has presented itself. But then, of course, there's Reuben. Mr. Split the Difference. He intervenes and saves Joseph's life. And at first, <clears throat> amid all the wickedness of his brothers, it may appear to us that Reuben is some sort of small flicker of love and hope. But that's not the case. <clears throat> first of all, as the oldest brother, Reuben would have been most responsible to answer to his dad if his youngest, younger brother is killed. But he also wants to get on his dad's good side because some of the sins he had committed against his father. I don't want to get into it in this sermon. It's kind of ridiculous and nasty, but you can look it up if you want. Just Google it. You know? <laughs> Why was Reuben an idiot? Just Google that. It'll come up. <clears throat> so Reuben hatches a plan to split the difference here between evil and, well, evil. <laughs> Isn't that what we do all the time, though, frankly? We're not as bad. And what really seems to be mercy and maybe just a sliver of righteousness really isn't. It's just pure evil with whipped cream on top. <laughs> and so they throw Joseph alive into the empty cistern, very deep. He's unable to get out. But I want you to know something. There's no innocent people in this story. I mean, imagine Joseph was alone with his thoughts in the pit, however long he was in that pit with no way out. What was he thinking? Probably, right? <clears throat> Anger, fear, resentment, revenge. 
I hate my brothers for doing this. I imagine those are all the same emotions his brothers felt before they threw him in the pit. Anger, fear, resentment, revenge. From Joseph's arrogance to the willing, murderous brothers, to Mr. Split the Difference with Reuben, they all deserve to be in the pit, frankly. Could have just thrown themselves in. So that's the history. What does God do? I want to talk about defeating the pit, climbing out of the pit, getting out. Now, many rightly teach, and this is true, many rightly teach that Joseph is a picture of Jesus. Being betrayed by his disciples in the pit is an excellent picture of the tomb, the grave which Christ went into for our sin. But I'm not going to preach that today because there have been thousands of sermons preached on the types of Jesus that are in the story of Joseph. And there are many, and they're valid and they're good. But I want to add a different twist to those pictures today and, frankly, throughout this series. And I'm hopefully going to try to tie them all together in the end today, and it's not going to be easy because there's so much here. Normally, a sermon is one page front and back, and by Wednesday, I had four pages front and back. It was ridiculous. So I had to cut a lot of it down. But in fact, fast forward, you'll get to this in a moment. But right here, evil turned to good. This is amazing. God fulfills this prophecy of sin from Joseph's arrogance and his brothers and jealousy. He takes this prophecy that he has of saying that I'm going to have Joseph be a savior of his family. And there's more to it. Let me, let's look at this verse in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. Here's what Joseph says at the end of the whole story. And we'll get to this at the last sermon in the series. He says this to his brothers. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people, and I cut it off there for space, would be blessed, would be kept alive as they are today. So God uses unrighteous dysfunction between Joseph and his brothers to set in motion a series of amazing events that we are going to study over the next few weeks, a series of amazing events that preserve his covenant with Abraham. God starts the plan of their salvation, not just to address a coming famine that could have destroyed their family and a lot of other people, but in reality, he, God starts a process starting with this, this uh, scheme to murder Joseph. It starts a whole process that actually will be saving their eternal souls. Oh, by the way, and ours. He preserves the line of Judah, one of Joseph's brothers, which is the seed of Christ. It's pretty amazing what God does here. He turns evil into good. And the next point in the theology side, the spiritual side, I want to talk about the enemy being thwarted. Can I just start off by saying, how how frustrating must it be to be Satan? I mean, he thought he had the perfect plan, and it was brilliant. In fact, he was so deft, he actually hid the plan by not necessarily going after Judah himself and murdering Judah, who was the line of Christ. I mean, it's brilliant what he does. Instead, he goes after Joseph with eyes on a plan to destroy the whole family. Pit brother against brother. Hoping perhaps, maybe, that that if the famine doesn't get him, Joseph's rise to power will allow Joseph to have the ability to destroy his brothers in the spirit of revenge and, frankly, destroy all of future Israel. I mean, this is a brilliant plan. 
And there's probably so many different weaving in and out and intricacies that we don't even know. But yet God turns his whole plan on its head. There's a verse in Colossians, Colossians 1, 13 through 14. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. I want you to see how incredible it is. And we're going to look at it more over the coming weeks. What God does to take this evil and turn it into, frankly, our salvation. There would be no grace life if the enemy's plan to destroy Joseph had come to fruition. Church, this is one of the most pivotal, pivotal historical moments in Old Testament history. And a, a pivotal act of God in all of Scripture that the impacts are eternal and profound. So much more of that to come in the coming weeks. But today I want to talk now about the personal side of this story. Who are we? I mean, it's our instinct to look down on what Joseph's brothers did. And who is it that we, by nature, who do we want to identify with in the story? I mean, we like being the betrayed, right? <clears throat> because then we can be the victim. And once you're a victim, you can pretty much justify any type of behavior you want. It's true. So do you want to identify with the imperfect, arrogant Joseph? Okay, yeah, but... Okay, I'm not Joseph, but maybe I'm just Reuben. I don't want to kill anybody. I just want to throw him in a pit. At worst, I'm Reuben. But I'm surely not the brothers, right? So this was our uh, social media campaign this week. We tend to identify with righteous in biblical stories, but the darkness in our heart aligns more closely with the unrighteous than we are willing to admit. So my first point, we are the brothers. Let me explain. Our relationships, even with Christ, they're hard, but especially without them, our relationships are so messed up. We are the brothers outside of Jesus, of course. And this story about the brothers and what they did to Joseph should get our, your attention. The brothers and the pit they use sheds light on who we really are. And our tendency is to look down on the brothers, but in reality, we can have empathy for them. The fact is, our human nature is more like the brothers than we realize. In fact, before Christ intervened, we are and were them in every way. It was our sin, after all, that required Jesus to be thrown into a pit, a picture of the grave. It is our free will and the use of it to fulfill our flesh and our mind with what we want. It is that that required that Jesus had to die for our souls. The way we were kept us stuck in a pit of bitterness. And what, really, you may not want to see this, but in reality, our goal is we didn't want to pull anybody out of pits. We want to pull them in with us. Misery loves company. And it's lonely in a pit. But there is salvation through the pit. So you get a glimpse in this story of what Jesus had to go through and how he did it to make up for our betrayal of him and our responsibility. <clears throat> Even if you think you're Reuben who split the difference, you still threw him in a pit. 
For when we, by our freely chosen path of sin, when we chose sin over God, we threw him in a pit, he was more than willing to be thrown in for our sakes. And the story gives important insight into how salvation works. I love this passage in Romans. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for, for good to those who are called according to his purpose. This is why it sucks to be the enemy. When God has called you, there's nothing he can do. God's sovereign grace and plan intervened and worked all things out for his purpose, even while we are the evil brothers. God intervenes through the pit, the grave, using our condemnation of him to actually save us. He used what the brothers did to be the vessel that he would turn into the plan for their salvation. But here's what's so amazing. After salvation through the pit, he changes us into the pit rescue team. <laughs> Loving brothers, if you will. So let me explain. Once Christ intervenes, he transforms how we're able to interact. Enabling us to be used by him to pull new brothers and sisters out of the pit. We become a pit rescue team for our brothers and sisters when before we were trying to fill the pit with people just like us. And he turns us into people like this in Philippians chapter 2, 3, and 4. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Don't keep throwing people into the pit. But in humility, count others as more important than yourselves. Help them out of the pit. Let each of you look not out only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. This is the new dynamic that God gives us when we become children of God. We're no longer lying in wait like Joseph's brothers, seeing who's coming, looking to unwittingly or knowingly, depending upon how manipulative we are, looking to satisfy our hearts and our bodies with other people at their expense. But now we're no longer lying in wait for that. We are now actively seeking those who we see coming afar off, no matter how ugly or pretty their jackets are. And as a church, we are seeking ways to rescue and save them from the pit. It's an amazing transformation that changes us, guys, from evil brothers to brothers and sisters in Christ. And suddenly... The relationship with our spiritual siblings begins to escape dysfunction. Oh, there's still some there because we're really messed up. Some of you more than others. I'm not going to point you out. Just kidding. But here's this transformation that takes place. And here's what John says. We just got finished studying the, the letters of John. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in the pit. In death. I want you to take a moment and celebrate this fact. We were once Joseph's brothers. You can equivocate it all you want. Well, maybe I was Reuben. No, you were Reuben and all the rest. But Christ 
through his willingness to be in the pit on our behalf has transformed us from evil brothers and sisters to loving ones committed to pulling people out of the pit, not being the vehicle with which they trip into it. My hope is as we go through this series and we begin to see, even starting next week, how what the enemy meant for evil, that God transforms into salvation. And in the end of this story, how he brings this incredible, ridiculous reconciliation between Joseph and his brothers. It's a pretty amazing story. None of it is, none of it is possible without grace and mercy. Because I'll tell you right now, you can't get out of the pit alone. Only through Christ. Dad, we want to be those who love the brothers and sisters. We confess to you, however, that we have been just like the evil brothers of Joseph many times in our lives. And we don't want to admit it. We'd rather identify with the betrayed. But we, frankly, have been the betrayer many times over. Sometimes we try to equivocate it and split the difference like Reuben, but we're still betrayers. But Jesus, we're so thankful you were willing to be betrayed. Willing to suffer in the pit. And then overcome it. And then through your resurrection, allow us to overcome the grave, overcome the pit. And through that, through your word and your spirit and one another, you begin to transform our relationships and turn us from evil brothers and sisters to ones who love one another and care for one another. You put us on the pit rescue team and we're so thankful. Keep us from being the evil brothers and sisters and make us more like you.